When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. What's up, everybody? Welcome into another episode of the Buffalo Beat. This is the post-game edition of the Bills' second preseason game. They just defeated the Denver Broncos by a score of 42-15, to extending their preseason winning streak to 10 games and four separate preseason. That spans four separate preseasons, five years total. Just, just kind of, kind of silly. But they are challenging the Ravens for that. Uh, that crown, so to speak. My name is Joe Piscalia. Uh, thank you, everyone, for for joining us here on the podcast. And f- he has returned to Buffalo. He has all moved in. Matthew Fairburn, it's good to have you back, my friend. No, good to be back. Finally, uh, it was <laughs> it was a long uh, transition, moving wise, but finally back in Western New York, and just in time to have missed. The bulk of the the training camp frenzy, uh, but you know, still get a little bit of a taste of the preseason here before before things fire up in a few weeks in Los Angeles. You just so happen to uh, to miss out on all the drives back and forth to Pittsburgh, New York. I yeah, timed it out. <laughs> I I was doing plenty of driving in that time uh, along That's fair. Yeah. along uh, the throughway in the Mass Pike, but uh, after plenty of trips back and forth. Finally, uh, here for here for a while, uh, here for good, but here in one place for a while until the start of football season. So, um, you know, now just getting myself caught up to speed on everything that's been going on with these uh, Super Bowl favorite Buffalo Bills. It is. I mean, we we say that somewhat in jest, just because betting odds are, you know. They, they're they're fleeting at times but this is a this is a really good team and so you know I I've I've been in the weeds at camp and everything like that so so you know even though we've we can get into some of the elements of the game which I think there is more of a, more of a big picture element to that game because the starters played and um, and you got to see some actions in terms of depth things that that they might uh, might be doing heading on maybe who who's in trouble everything like that i figure it's it's a it's a good chance to kind of take a a broad view of this and when you were watching you know, i mean the colts game probably isn't the same because josh allen and the majority of the starters did not play in that game but when you were watching the broncos game uh what kind of and really just viewing from viewing this Bills team from afar as as they've been kind of going along here what has kind of struck you about this team and and what uh what they're about to what they've been going through what they what they're about to see in the regular season so what really stood has stood out to you uh more than anything from a broad view yeah I think what's what has struck me 
personally as you know at, this is the first time i have not been at nfl training camp since 2013 uh when i was covering college football so i i have been in the weeds at nfl training camp for i guess that was eight straight years all of those bills training camps actually because mm -hmm. i left after training camp last year and it's interesting to view it more as a you know from afar and you know being picking up on you know you start to pick up on trends from the reports more so than uh, you realize that I, I wondered like wow all these tweets I was sending out when I was at training camp they seem a little bit silly now right <laughs> where I'm like just mm -hmm. looking and I'm scrolling through my feed and there's all these you know articles or news updates and then there's like a one random then there's just random training camp plays from across the league you know mm -hmm. and i'm like what 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 do any of these mean essentially and so that's <laughs> right. where it's helpful to you get you know over time over a few weeks you say okay this guy's popping up a lot or this guy's popping up a lot let's see how he looks you know in a preseason game or something like that but i think in particular with this Bills team as well, is that it doesn't feel like training camp is quite, it's more meaningful in some ways because they are the betting favorite for the Super Bowl. There's more excitement for this team than there has been in quite a long time. It just seems to be, you know, getting bigger and bigger every year in terms of the, the hype and the buildup surrounding Bills season. So it matters in that way. And it certainly, you know, the coaching staff and everybody will tell you how important this time of year is, but it's not the same. These preseason games are more about people worrying guys are going to get hurt. You know, there's there's not as much of how does this guy look or who's going to win this starting job? There are some minor spots uh, and little, you know, loose ends that need to be tied up on the 53 man roster. But I think if you ask the average person watching that game yesterday, the number one thing on their mind was, let's hope Josh Allen and the rest of the starters get through this game healthy. Because mm -hmm. people know that this is one of the best rosters in football. It's There's a good reason. There's a, they're a betting favorite to win the Super Bowl. And getting to that opening night game against the Rams in one piece is the main goal of the preseason and of training camp. So... That's a much different feel than training camp has had here since I, you know, got to town all those years ago. So I think that's been an interesting shift for these guys. And mm -hmm. so far, I would say so good. I know the injury stuff hasn't been perfect, but I feel like they are still in a spot. And especially if you watched Josh Allen in the first team offense yesterday, I think everybody felt pretty good about what they were able to do. Uh, he had one of the highlights of preseason with that touchdown and then got out of there. Uh, you can argue whether he should have been in there at all in the first place. I'm sure a lot of people uh, were nervously watching, but it was the best of both worlds when you get the, the players executing on that level and staying healthy. So, so far, so good, I think, for this this Bills team in, in the preseason. Yeah, the the whole notion of Josh playing in that game, I think per, people were borderline ticked off that he was playing because of how much, how important he was to the season. The first couple of throws were, were super quick stuff. 
like one to Diggs, one to McKenzie. Um, that touchdown pass, it was interesting because you could see his mind working as it was happening, as he like turned his back to the pocket and and reset himself. It seemed like he wanted to roll out to his left, uh, but it, it, it seemed like something in his brain was like, "Hey, Josh, it's the preseason. Don't do that." <laughs> and and he decided to you know just kind of wing it over to Gabriel Davis into the end zone, and it winds up being like a. a almost off his back foot 40 yard strike for for a touchdown which is you know just shows how much talent he has but they smartly got him out of there and that just it's all about checking boxes in the preseason and they were able to get some time to their um most of their first team offensive line they were able to get Diggs and Davis incorporated uh Diggs and Davis even played a little bit longer than Josh Allen and the and the rest of the uh the starting offense did actually. Uh, Allen was the only one who only played the first series and then got out of there. Uh, Diggs went in with Case Keenum and and uh, came away with that. I think it was like a 25, 26 yard gain, something along along those lines. But that was Diggs' last play of the game, just to you know get them get them going a little bit. I would be pretty surprised if I if we see any of them uh, down in Charlotte against the Carolina Panthers this coming Friday. I think that'll be a game for for some of the the bottom roster guys. But yeah, this was all about checking a box, getting out of the game healthy and um and going from there because while they like you alluded to, the they have some injury stuff. Like Jordan Poyer suffered an elbow injury and and he's been on the men for the last couple of weeks, but seems like he should be ready to go for the start of the season. I mean, we're still a little under three weeks away from, from the year and he's, it seems like he has been progressing just based on the type of wrap that and slash brace that has been over his elbow and, and how that has progressed. I mean, the Tredavious White stuff, we'll, I'm sure we'll get into because that's an interesting situation. Spencer Brown is another one that has kind of like been on that injury radar, but they have not had any significant injury this uh, throughout the training camp. They they didn't even make like a roster move outside of one random. Uh, they they signed this uh, random cornerback Jordan Miller uh, when. Trayvon Fuller, who started camp with them, I think he he left the team. <laughs> he just straight up left camp. And so they they put him on a list. They brought in Jordan Miller, and that was their only transaction outside of the, the minor cuts that they made last week. So it, it all seems like this training camp is, and, and the preseason is just, it just, like you said, it feels different in a sense that it's, less important and now for them moving forward we can start to and now that they're through this one game this um this kind of audition for the regular season now we can figure out where this team might might uh struggle where this team uh looks good where they look better than expected where they might be worse than expected so all of that i think is uh is is fair game so uh, outside of outside of josh when you look at one element, maybe that you think has taken you by surprise, either in the good or bad direction, for you, what what kind of moves moves the needle? Because I think for a lot of us that that uh, you know are thinking about and, and talking about this and, and at practice every single day, it, it's kind of like oh, like hey, 
this OJ Howard thing is interesting, which we'll get into. But but that but that's kind of back on the rate or um, back to the to the wayside a little bit when you look at the the grand view of the entire uh, entire roster. So what kind of what has surprised you about this this version of the Bills as you've seen them so far? I think the the thing that I've been sort of focused on and trying to to sort through and wondering what it will look like is the secondary and Mm -hmm. you know that ties into the conversation about some big injuries that they're you know dealing with uh, or injuries to significant players perhaps not big injuries but you know Tredavious White still not being on the field uh, is you know not ideal Uh, Jordan Poyer going down not ideal Micah Hyde you know getting a, a few more maintenance days it seems like and uh, you know, kind of managing his workload throughout training camp. And then you have a lot of, you know, young corners that you don't quite know what they're going to get out of them, you know. And Kair Elam, you know, the first-round pick, Dane Jackson, who's been around a while, Christian Benford seems like he's really popping. And, you know, now the young safeties are getting more reps. So I think this is, you know, a pretty important part of this team. Now there's certainly when you have a player like Josh Allen and you have an offense like the bills do your the rest of your roster over the long term is not going to be perfect. And you're going to be able to get away with more things than other teams because of what you can do on offense and because of what your quarterback can do. But the secondary is also you know, the calling card of this defense in a lot of ways, or it has been under Sean McDermott. And it was ultimately what sort of let the team down, I think, uh, against the Chiefs in the playoffs and in, in those big moments. So I think the questions to me, you know, not being there every day and not being, you know, in the, the weeds of, you know, the significance of Jordan Poyer's injury or what Tredavious White is or isn't doing, I think the bigger question to me is what are they even going to look like when they're all out there on the field? Is Tredavious White going to be back at that level at some point this season? Mm -hmm. I think that's a fair question. Now, 90% Tredavious White is still a really good number one corner. And, you know, exactly what, you know, they were playing in the playoffs without him. So, you know, important to remember. The safeties are interesting to me because things like this feel like they'll pop up a little bit more as these guys get older. And, of course, Jordan Poyer has the the contract situation as well. And it kind of feels like this worked out as well as it could have for the Bills from that standpoint. You get a look at the younger safeties. You get to kind of see where they're at in with more important reps, especially with with Micah Hyde, you know, being in and out of practice and, and managing his his workload. What they have in the future at safety feels important because eventually you would think a high draft pick would have to come at one of those spots unless they feel really strongly about these these late round picks. And I I think this is where training camp is different than it was a few years ago where and I was thinking about this, you know, in terms of Christian Benford, 
getting, you know, and I haven't seen a ton of him other than the preseason action. Uh, I, I feel like practice is a really good place to gauge, you know, with the one-on-ones and different things like who belongs, but it feels significant that he is getting as much love from the coaching staff as he is, because this is not a situation like a few years ago where you're going to pump the tires of every late round pick and late round picks are going to have a chance to make your roster. And, you know, it's a it's a thing that sort of validates your process before you've had, you know, these winning seasons and the results that actually validate it. They're, I think they're pumping Christian Benford's tires because he's playing well and because he's, you know, somebody who could legitimately play a role. And I tie that back to DeMar Hamlin and Jaquan Johnson because they have reached a point in their career where it's no longer just interesting that a a late round pick is catching some buzz from the coaches right now they're you know years into their career and they need to you know they're they're veterans in a sense that will need to perform when called upon for a super bowl you know contender and so how ready are they to do that in the event that micah hyde and jordan poyer don't play all 16 games together and how ready are they to assume those roles if one of those players isn't here beyond uh, this season. And that's where the entire secondary, they have gotten by, I think, with lesser talent at some spots. You know, at number two corner, it seems like every year they've, you know, switched players in and out. Uh, Dane Jackson, another late round pick that, you know, again, it doesn't really matter that you don't get judged as a late round pick anymore. Now you're a potential starter and you need to play that way. It's not just good enough to be good for a seventh rounder. Nobody cares about that anymore. So a lot of interesting questions about that group. And I think if you were to say, look, there's a lot of questions about one spot on this team, you would want it to be there because this coaching staff has proven they can get more out of players there and scheme wise, they can do things uh, to make the secondary look better. But it's definitely something I have my eye on because there aren't a lot of weaknesses on this team. And I don't think the secondary will necessarily be one. I just think it's vulnerable to injuries and things like that as these guys get older, uh, the safeties in particular, uh, but also as Tredavious White is coming off a significant injury, isn't on the practice field yet. The the upshot is that young players are getting important reps right now, but eventually those aren't just reps. They're meaningful snaps in games, and you want them to be able to perform, especially you know with, with the stakes being as high as they are this year. Yeah, they have been remarkably healthy uh, at safety since Poyer and Hyde came around. And they the, the fact that they have been basically needing to live the majority of camp without them in that lineup is, uh, is a, a great thing, a great uh, development to figure out if, and it seems like Jaquan Johnson has been the guy that has stepped up uh, when one of those two guys have been away from the practice field. Seems like he is in there whenever, whenever Micah Hyde is is ready to play. Um, Johnson is the one that is usually lining up with him in the backfield. Seems like he's the number three, and it, he's an interesting guy because 
uh, let's say the the whole Jordan Poyer thing, they they don't give him a, an extension past this year, then Jaquan Johnson suddenly becomes a an intriguing piece that maybe you re-sign him to a pretty low-cost deal, and then all of a sudden he's your starting safety uh, in 2023. So that might be something to to keep an eye out for as we kind of go forward here to see um, how the safety situation evolves. But even broader than that, it almost seems like what the Bills have been best at the last two, three years defensively is is going to flip. Because for the last two or three years, it's been, okay, the secondary has, has been lights out for the most part. They've you know, had given up some big plays, but they have helped bring up the level of the defense where the pass rush has not been able to bring down the quarterback in the past. And, you know, Jerry Hughes is still was still a, a really good pass rusher for them last year. Uh, outside of him, they didn't really have much uh, coming off the edge because at that point, Rousseau was still a rookie. Uh, A.J. Appanessa it was going through the paces of his first couple of seasons. Boogie Basham wasn't ready uh, as a rookie. So, you know, Hughes still had a nice season, but he still didn't have the ability to bring down uh, the quarterback by himself. And that that kind of element and the defensive tackle play outside of Ed Oliver certainly played into it as well. But they have completely um, revamped that defensive line. The defensive tackle group is 75% new. The only holdover is Ed Oliver. I mean, Jordan Phillips, Tim Settle, Daquan Jones, all three of those guys they're really excited about and they've been playing well. Um, throughout the, the summer, throughout the camp and everything like that. And then the pass rushers, like Von Miller, we know exactly what he is. He's going to be really stinking good, at least this year. Um, Greg Rousseau has taken a step forward, I think, a little bit. AJ Abanessa has been flashing every, uh, almost every single practice that I've seen him. And it seems like he is poised to take over that that top rotational role, which is was a big development for them. So it almost feels like, and Ed Oliver seems like he's playing out of his mind this summer. So it feels like that defensive front is now going to help compensate for some of the issues on the back end. And it's just, it's not like, it's not like a, uh, a one or the other always sort of thing. It's just, it's just the way it feels because the cornerback spot I, I would be slightly concerned about it um, heading into the season. Dane Jackson has been the uh, the runaway top guy of those that have, have practiced so far. And we all know that he is prone to inconsistency, prone to some bad beats. Good run defender, good tackler, everything like that, even though he's in a smaller package. Uh, but it was telling that against the Broncos, the Bills, well, against the Colts, they didn't even play Dane Jackson. And then against the Broncos, Dane was the first one that they removed from the game and gave uh, the rest of the second quarter to Benford and Elam. Like, and, and Leslie Frazier even kind of tipped his hand a little bit last week when when asked about uh, the decision not to play Dane. And, and they said, well, we're going to have to make uh, a decision between the two young guys. And not only is that a telling quote about, uh, about Dane Jackson... But I also feel like it's kind of a telling quote about Tredavious White and where he is right now. And just in case, you know, because there's been like this cloud of secrecy around what's going on with Tredavious White. The Bills 
have never put a timetable on it. All they've said uh, in the past, before this before this week, is that you know he's he's progressing and and they're happy with it. This this week, Sean McDermott was asked for an update, and and he said no update. The last time that I saw Tre'Davious White doing some things to the side uh, during a practice setting was back at St. John Fisher on July 29th. It was the day that I saw him doing some uh, backpedaling, planting, and exploding forward. Saw him do a little bit of change of direction stuff. And and it, it really seemed like his, his biggest workout uh, since he has been able to do some stuff. But since that day, I have not seen him do stuff to the side during practice. Now, that's not to say that he's not doing it somewhere, but when you're at St. John Fisher, it's kind of different than when you're at um, in Orchard Park. Like, in Orchard Park, the rest of the team can be outside and you could be in the field house doing all these things. At St. John Fisher, all you have are those three little fields all right in a row, and odds are that you're going to be doing them doing something somewhere in view. Could he be doing it at another portion of the day? Sure, absolutely, but... It would almost feel like the rest of the day is made up of meetings and lunch and very regimented schedules. Um, it almost feels like that that two-hour window, that two-and-a-half-hour window where the whole team is out on the field, that's the most efficient and conducive to, to getting him some work along the side. And in Sean McDermott, and you can only go based on head coach history, in Sean McDermott's history, when players have been nearing a return, even when they're on a list of some sort, whether it be IR, PUP, um, whatever it be, what, whatever the, the list may be, those guys are usually doing something along the side with, uh, along the side of the field with the strength and conditioning staff to show signs of progress. But Tre'Davious White has, it, it's like I said, that was July 29th. It's now August 21st, and I haven't seen him do something like activity related since that point. So I almost think like the, the closer that we're getting to the start of the regular season, it's now under three weeks to go. It's not going to be, since he's coming back from a torn ACL, it's not going to be a snap of a finger where, okay, he gets back, back on the practice field, he's ready to go. He's going to need a ramp up period. So I almost wonder if this is just heading into the direction of them putting him on PUP to start things, which is now only four weeks. It's the same as IR. Uh, in order for them to put him on IR, they would need to pass. He would need to pass a physical, and then put him on IR after the fact. Which I just don't. I can't foresee that that happening. So it it really feels like we're trending towards them starting the season without Tre'Davious White, and you know, probably to be expected based on when he had his surgery. I think people were hopeful based on the way that uh, some people, like the way that Leslie Frazier had talked at the beginning of camp, it raised some optimism about whether or not Tredavious would be ready for week one. But I think they're going to have to, I, I think it's trending towards them having to live the first month of the season without him and to get by with Dane Jackson and then one of the two rookies, which, you know, Oftentimes that can be hairy and you know that the opposing team is going to go after those players. So it's going to, a lot is going to fall on the safety shoulders to be healthy and, and be on top of their game as, as well as the defensive line to, to kind of bail them out uh, throughout the first portion of the season 
as they're going up against, uh, you know, some pretty solid opponent. Like, the Rams are going to be great again. The Titans, I think, are going to take a massive step back. But then the Dolphins, I think, are right in con- uh, contention to make the playoffs this year. So there's there's some... And, and then they have the Ravens after that, and the Ravens are going to be excellent this season I think I think they're really going to take a take a step forward so that's a that's a tough first four games of the season uh, to not have your star cornerback and so it's 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 really just a matter of figuring out which of these young guys is going to be able to make the most impact and and uh and go from there to to try and mask some of the issues you have back there yeah I think how much Tredavious White's injury matters is more more about how much it impacts him reaching his peak level uh, than the first four games. And certainly you'd rather, you know, if you're the Bills, you'd rather have him than not in, in the first month of the season. And you'd, you'd rather get him on the field as soon as possible. And those aren't, you know, it's not an easy stretch of games to start, as you mentioned. But the bigger piece is whether this is going to, cause him to, you know, and I think inevitably it will, it will, you know, just prolong the amount of time it takes before he's feeling completely like himself. Now they're also a team, particularly with their, their top players that is willing to be patient with injuries and make sure guys are ready a hundred percent before they're back. So there could be an element of that at play. But like you said, if he, if he has not been doing anything, uh, within view, uh, you know, since July, that seems noteworthy. It seems significant. And, you know, that doesn't necessarily uh, lend itself to just patience for the sake of patience. I, I think, you know, there's there's perhaps, uh, you know, more to, to, to read into that. But if he can get back to being Tredavious White by November or December, you know, in time for, you know, a postseason run, I think this team is good enough to withstand being without him for a little while. But it then bleeds into the other questions of who is stepping up and what do those players look like? Because Kair Elam drafted in a similar range to Tredavious White is doesn't seem like he's going to step in and play like Tredavious White did as a rookie. And mm-hmm. part of that is, yeah, I think that's the nature of who they are as prospects. And Tredavious White had a great opportunity when he came to Buffalo and the starting spot was right there. You could also say the same of, of Kair Elam because of the way things have gone with, with Tredavious's injury and uh you know the situation that's been been laid out we'll see how he he performs i think this puts a bigger spotlight on him and yeah for the first month of the season that's not ideal because you know it doesn't allow him to uh you know ease into things as much but maybe by december and january it can be a good thing because he got that that trial by fire came out, you know, better for it. And Tredavious White is back to, you know, being himself. So there could be, you know, that silver lining in there, but all of that depends on the players behind Tredavious White, not only 
you know, taking hold of the opportunity, but, you know, handling it the right way and using it as something, regardless of how it goes, that can benefit them, whether they play well or not. You know, the experience matters, but I think for young corners, it can be dangerous to assume that all experience will be positive because of the Mm -hmm. way that position is. You need to be able to handle it mentally and emotionally of being out there, uh, getting beat at times and being able to come back and, you know, learn from it and not let it eat you up, not let it destroy your confidence because that's such a big piece of playing cornerback, uh, more so I think than you know, confidence matters at, at most every spot, but I feel like confidence is harder to manufacture at cornerback than it is a lot of other places on the field. One play can flip your confidence if you're a running back, if you're a receiver, one big catch. And that can happen at cornerback, but there's also a lot more instances where your confidence can be shaken and rattled. And you have to know that you're not going to bat a thousand. And that's a, a tough lesson for some guys to learn. And I think sometimes it can snowball on players. It's, I think, part of why you see outside of Tredavious White and you know a few other exceptions, the Bills do tend to play it slow with their rookies, even when they were in the earlier stages of their rebuild. And you know now they're a team that is, you know, from the first whistle expecting to be a a contender for, you know, the top prize. So it's an even different calculus. And so I think it'll be very much worth watching how how all these guys play early in the year and how it all comes together. I think that's where having Jordan Poyer and Micah Hyde becomes more important and having them be who they are because, man, they're in what? Is this year six for them? Year six in in Buffalo, Uh, not just, you know, in the NFL, but year six in Buffalo. Those guys are are seasoned veterans. They are now on, you know, probably past the prime of their career or clinging to the the edge of their prime Uh, safe. Don't tell Jordan Poyer. I mean, safeties can, you know, play, uh, you know, later and later into their careers. It's yeah, it's not like they're still they're still both really good. Yeah, they're not, you know. Uh, slouches by any means, uh, but at their peak, I mean, those guys maybe they're just slightly off their peak, right? You know, the, I mean, we're talking about two of the best safeties in the NFL. I would say they're still two of the best safeties in the NFL, but mm-hmm. how long can they cling to their prime? I guess is is the big question. How often can they stay on the field? Because if you're dealing with a starting corner group that potentially has two rookies or if not two rookies then uh you know a rookie and dane jackson who's still a young player and uh still figuring things out it feels like those guys are even more important and maybe taron johnson as well uh you know kind of the forgotten man at times uh because you know he's the nickel guy and you know they're there are more important pressing issues on the team than, than what's going on at that spot because he's been solid, but he's now that guy that can, you know, play more of a leadership role and 
you know, be somebody that can hold things together for the younger players. Sort of the 2.0 version of Sean McDermott's Bills secondary is starting to take shape. Mm -hmm. Uh, And it's not Mm -hmm. taking shape all at once. It's, you know, in pieces and you're seeing it because of injuries and different players getting reps. But what the, you know, next iteration of of this secondary looks like uh, will be, you know, a big a big storyline going into the, the year. I really like the way that you kind of viewed Tredavious White and and Kyrie Elam in their rookie years because most people will be like, well, yeah, Tredavious White went in the lineup because it was a tire fire around around that entire roster to that point. But I mean, you look at the the cornerback group. This was as good, if not better, of an opportunity for Kyrie Elam to just take a starting job and run with it. And it speaks to where they were as rookies because Tredavious White came in and he was immediately 100% out there. There was, there was no doubt about it. Uh, basically right from the, the spring practices through the season, Elam has struggled a little bit. And that's, that's a part of the equation. I also think Tredavious White's year, that was a particularly strong draft and this year's draft was less on the uh, the top end talent and more about the depth of the day two guys. So it almost kind of feels like that on a normal year, maybe Elam is a is a second second round guy that gets pushed up into the first round because of the lack of lack of talent. Now you know the Bills had a first round grade on him; they traded up two spots to get him, so you know, take, take that for what it's worth, but it, it was by many accounts, kind of a, a weaker draft class in terms of the, the high end talent. So the fact that he's taking a little bit longer, it, I don't think it should like lead to discouragement about what he can be in the NFL, because it, it's, he's got a lot of the pieces that you want. I mean, really well studied. Uh, it seems like he's trying to think through things when he's out there. I, he, you know, he has ability as a man-to-man cover guy. He can, he can flip his hips and run, which is something that uh, Levi Wallace wasn't able to do. But it, it just kind of seems like he's maybe uh, thinking a little bit too much when, when he's dropping back into coverage, specifically zone coverage, and that's that's part of part of the difficulty. And then on some man-to-man reps too, he's he's getting beat, beaten at the line of scrimmage especially during training camp practices. So it's just trying to find that that sweet spot in his rookie year. And that's why Benford has been so uh, so much of a riser throughout throughout training camp because he just looks poised and in control, good size, good length. Um, really he, he's a he's a fluid mover just like Elam is. It's kind of I I don't think the Bills expected him to to play this as well as he has in his rookie season to the point where he is their locked in third cornerback uh, without Tredavious White, at least. I mean, there is a world where Dane Jackson is starting on one side and then Kair Elam and, and Christian Benford are splitting snaps to begin the season. So that that whole thing is a, is a rather interesting thing as we kind of get closer to camp. That final preseason game, I would not be surprised if both Benford and Elam play a lot in that game just so they can kind of come to some decision because it seems like they feel like they're they're pretty even 
uh, for the time being. All right. Um, how about some some other stuff that that has kind of uh, caught our eye? I think the one thing that has been that I've been thinking about all week that maybe has taken some by surprise based on his contract and and now what it's looking like is after the Colts game, I mean, well, before the Colts game, we all thought O.J. Howard, tight end. I mean, he's got a name, former first-round pick. He's had a lot of injuries, but they signed him to almost a fully guaranteed one-year deal to, to back up Dawson Knox. Seemed like he was going to be the the shoe-in uh, backup guy this year. But against the Colts, plays deep into the fourth quarter. Then, uh, as as the week has kind of gone on, seeing seeing some things at practice, it kind of raised the alarms alarm bells a little bit more. And then once you get to the Denver game, where you start to see where these actions of playing time and snaps and when they're coming, who they're coming with, and everything like that, when they're out there, and Dawson Knox, of course, is not with the team because of the tragic passing of his brother Luke, um, on that first snap. On that first series with Josh Allen, Quentin Morris gets the start, gets five out of those six snaps, and then on the only other snap, um, Tommy Sweeney and and Reggie Gilliam come out on 12 personnel. O.J. Howard was the only tight end that dressed that did not take a snap with Josh Allen, which I think is a pretty, pretty notable thing for him, especially for such a, a buzzy guy. Uh, I, I am... Very interested to see how they play this thing because they gave him a lot of time in that game, about 56% of snaps through the second quarter and the second half. I think he got, I want to say like 28 snaps in this in the second quarter or 28 snaps after Josh Allen left the game in that first half. Like he was out there a bunch and it almost kind of feels like that maybe they're trying to showcase him for a trade a little bit because the looming threat beyond all of this and... I've I've been joking with some of the other beat writers that you know the kind of the way that that the Bills did with the Panthers early on in their regime the Giants are are kind of the same thing with the Bills and I've set the over under of how many guys that Shane and Dable would claim from the Bills at three and a half and two and two of those guys are tight ends because the Giants tight end room if you if you look at the depth chart it's horrific like they've got Daniel Bellinger who's a fourth round pick this year as their starter, Ricky Seals Jones, who is just a, a journeyman, you know, probably practice squad type more than anything. Uh, and then they've got a couple of, a couple of guys who are probably going to get cut on the rest of their team. So if you're cutting Tommy Sweeney, who they love in the locker room, you can be damn sure that Dable is going to pick up the, going to push to pick up uh, Tommy Sweeney. And Quentin Morris is another one that has had a really strong camp. He's kind of become Reggie Gilliam's understudy as like the fullback tight end thing, and and uh, I would I would be very uh, I wouldn't be surprised at all if if the Bills were to cut Morris that the Giants go okay we'll uh, we'll claim Quentin Morris and put him as as the tight end too. So it's just a different layer of how to think think through things, especially this season because it's so different because the Giants are just starting out, and it makes me wonder if they are trying to find a trade partner for OJ Howard. So that way they can keep Sweeney Morris and Knox as, as their three tight ends. And I, 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 I figured you would find that interesting just because we all, we all uh, thought OJ Howard was safe and now it, it, it doesn't feel that way anymore. Yeah. Financially, it's not 
the best situation for them, correct? No. Uh, yeah, yeah. They they would be they are on the hook if they don't trade him for three point one nine five million of his three and a half million total. His base salary of one point nine four five million is fully guaranteed. They did a void year, so that would prorate his one point two five million sign bo- signing bonus over two years. But you know, if they wind up cutting him, they're out that two million dollars. But if they trade him, they would save that two million. So it's it's it behooves them if they don't feel like he's going to be a part of their roster to try and facilitate a trade for him somewhere. Yeah, and I think it's more noteworthy yesterday given you know against the Broncos given that you know their starting tight end wasn't wasn't with the team you know there's even more snaps mm-hmm. to be had now Josh Allen only had six snaps so that's you know also you know it, yeah but you know still uh they seem to take those snaps and use them in ways, you know, quick passes to to a couple of guys that he might be playing with uh, and, you know, use them to get guys comfortable together. And mm-hmm. certainly that would have seemed like a spot where O.J. Howard would have been in the mix if if mm-hmm. he were a part, a significant part of their plans or if he had earned uh, that type of, of role. And at least on one snap, like the one snap that Tommy Sweeney and Reggie Gilliam came in for 12 personnel. Like, yeah, put him in there rather, rather than Sweeney. But it just goes to show, I think, that, that you know, Sweeney has really impressed them to the point where maybe it's it's at Howard's uh, demise. And Sweeney went through a lot physically, uh, you know, mm-hmm. and that kind of, I think, you know, threw a, a wrench into his development. But like you said, he was always a guy that, you know, people really liked in the locker room and he was promising before uh dealing with you know some of those things so i think the fact that it goes back to a little bit of what i was saying about benford where this is not a situation where they're you know heaping praise on late round picks or unheralded guys for the sake of it right because this is not, you know, Brandon Riley. This is not, you know, these aren't preseason darlings. These are, it behooves them to have O.J. Howard, right? Like financially, because of the commitment they made, it it would be nice for them if he could return on that investment. And it's not a massive commitment, but it's a enough of a commitment that you don't feel great if you have to get rid of him or if you have to, to play somebody else. The only way Tommy Sweeney and Quentin Morris are ahead of him is if they're really, really earning it. And, you know, I haven't been at practice, but I know both of those players, uh, you know, and they bring something to the table. Quentin Morris has, you know, has came into the league as a very sturdy blocker. And, you know, I think that seems to matter to them, you know, with the way they've structured their offensive line, what they've done in the backfield, finding a bit more of a running game seems to matter to them. So what the market would be for an OJ Howard, I'm not really sure, Uh, you know, but it's not, you know, certainly not the ideal situation to have to be thinking about moving on from him before, you know, he's even taken a snap 
for you in the regular season. So we'll see what happens there. But, you know, maybe there's a a market for the other guys as well. I don't know. They would have to really, you know, Josh Allen matters in all of this. He likes Tommy Sweeney. Uh, you know, Loves and him. so <laughs> that matters. Uh, if he can't get on the same page with, with OJ Howard, I mean, this is the, the pull that elite quarterbacks have. Uh, and, you saw it for years with Tom Brady of, you know, these players that would come in and you would think they would have a big role or, you know, because of draft position or money that they would have a certain role. But Tom Brady, if he couldn't get on the same page with a guy, if something wasn't clicking, you know, he'd go right back to the guys that he could rely on and that he could count on mm-hmm. in important spots. And he almost dictated who was getting the, you know, who was getting the ball, who was making the team in some cases because of how he distributed the ball and who he, who he was willing to, to trust. So Josh Allen is probably starting to reach that point. I mean, Tom Brady was at, was kind of on another level. Uh, he's like a, a quasi GM now it seems like in Tampa Bay, but Josh Allen definitely has pull. In, in the Bills front office and with the coaching staff. I mean, you look at, you know, Ken Dorsey uh, sliding into the offensive coordinator spot, you know, a sought-after guy in his own right, but Josh Allen mattered there. And I think Josh Allen matters with things like this, you know, little things uh, where, you know, you're talking about the final few roster spots and, you know, different spots. If Dawson Knox, you know, gets injured in a game, who who does he trust to to know that role and be in the right spots and who's he on the same page with? That's what counts. And so that might be, you know, tough for OJ Howard, especially if in the one chance to get game reps, you know, he's not getting them. Yeah, for sure. And throughout the summer, it just Howard just he has not moved all that well. And both Sweeney and Morris have been more impactful pass catchers consistently throughout camp than OJ Howard. I mean, I saw it right during the, the spring workouts. Howard, it did not did not look like a really fluid mover. And it just kind of seems like he's a super big target. Like he's humongous. I'm I'm borderline six foot five. And the dude towers over me. He's so he is extremely tall, huge target. But it almost feels like he's a catch and fall guy. Whereas Sweeney and Morris have given them a little bit more. And Morris gives you that blocking element and also the 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 fullback part. And then there's this little nugget, which gives you a good glimpse, maybe as to what they're thinking. Quentin Morris, throughout the first half, played on every single core four special team snap. Tommy Sweeney started to work in the second quarter. OJ Howard did not get a single special team snap throughout the entire first half. So when you're looking at guys that can fill out the back end and that backup tight end role is usually one where you like to get some special teams production. If OJ Howard is not giving you any of that and he's not really a good pass catcher, and his one calling card is blocking, and you could probably get by with with Sweeney and Morris, who are, you know, maybe not as good of blockers, but still solid in their own right, and then better pass catchers, and they give you special teams on top of that. 
it it's kind of a it's kind of a no-brainer if you get to that point. The only thing that would be holding them back is just the two million that they would they would if they were to cut him that they would essentially be throwing away, which is two million that they could roll over in a salary cap next year, or two million that they can um, use to to sign a player this year if they feel like they're close, or two million to utilize uh, maybe at the trade deadline to bring in a veteran player that maybe has fallen out of favor on a losing team that could really help their Super Bowl run. Like that flexibility is meaningful. So if you're the Bills, absolutely give OJ, and you and you feel like he's not going to be a part of your team, absolutely give him as many reps as he can. Target him in the red zone like they did yesterday. Try and, try and facilitate a, a trade somehow in that way. If, even if it's, you know, switching a, a fifth, for a sixth and improving a draft pick or a sixth for a seventh, the more meaningful thing would probably be to get that 2 million off your ledger. Uh, and, and the rest of that and the rest of it is, is good. So yeah, just, just a thing to keep an eye on as, as they get closer to, to uh, the Panthers game. I do have a question for you. How have you been handling all of this first team time for your boy Blaine Gabbard with Tom Brady away? You know, as we're going through all these these things that, you know, matter and don't matter in the preseason and, you know, all that, that storyline feels pretty significant down there. Uh, I mean, first of all, because, you know, you've got Blaine Gabbert getting first team reps is probably the most important <laughs> part of, I mean, I can't remember the last time he was uh, a legit, you know, starter. But neither does he, you know, he's, he's always been a backup in, in, in mindset. Uh, you know, he's, he certainly, uh, certainly has, uh, I've gotten some people have sent some videos of, uh, I think it was Taylor Lewan uh, talking about, you know, the way Blaine Gabbert would, would, would speak, uh, you know, I, we might've talked about that on the last Yeah. Show, you're t- you're know, talking about daddy, let daddy sling let it. Daddy sling it. Um, but it, the longer this stretches on, the more it feels like a really big, you know, probably the biggest story in the NFL. When it first happened, I was uh, on one of uh, my drives back and forth from Massachusetts. And I was thinking, you know, I was thinking, like, what is going on? Like, this is unprecedented for a guy to just take some some personal time during uh, training camp without, you know, something uh, going on. Uh, and by all accounts, he's healthy. His family's healthy. I, I mean, it's interesting because, you know, you would think, oh, in years past, something happening to a, uh, you know, something going on with a, an NFC quarterback is not of consequence to the Bills. But I feel like it is. Like if Tom Brady is waffling or, I mean, there's just, he's left this void for sp- rampant speculation about, what the hell is going on? Uh, it feels like it could matter. It also feels like it could be a long con by Bruce Arians and Tom Brady to get their boy Blaine uh, a starting job. Uh, Tom Brady <laughs> says he's coming back, and at the last possible minute where they could address the spot, he says, "Actually, I'm out." And Blaine Gabbert jumps in and uh, probably still makes the Bucks a Super Bowl contender, I would say. So it's not uh, it's not as if we can totally <laughs> write them off. But uh, I don't know. It's a it's a really 
bizarre story and it it certainly uh tickles me that it also uh puts Blaine Gabbert of all people he's right there ready to go there he is mm-hmm. uh ready to stumble into another of a million opportunities it seems like there, like there's an outside shot he'll start i think um you know week 1 if i don't know like nobody knows what's going on with Tom Brady it's uh mm-hmm. it's such a bizarre story that that yeah. he's stepping away and that it was maybe planned but it doesn't seem like it was planned because they don't seem to know when he's coming back so um who knows he might come back tomorrow everything's fine he's at practice but it was also he had some you know sporadic absences before this he hasn't practiced a lot for Tampa so i don't know kind of interesting oh yeah yeah the uh there is a there was a working theory that Brady's absences was to be on the mask singer um that that was populated over on reddit um but it has since been debunked by some reporters but it was very it was a very creative theory and I and I give the uh the original theorist uh kudos for (laughs) for trying to put all those little pieces together like you like that person went and found like taping dates and the fact that you know uh Brady signed a contract with with Fox before he unretired and, and came back. And because it's a Fox show, it's, it was, it was quite the elaborate theory. So I'll, I'll give, I'll give credit where credit's due, but it there was, uh, there were Boston sports radio discussions about, you know, whether he was on, they had a pre-planned family vacation when he retired and, uh, oh. you know, Giselle made him stick to the, the plan, um, you know, of some, you know, vacation in Italy or something, but they already went to Italy earlier this off season as a family. Mm-hmm. I mean, the idea of taking, you know, uh, you know, like he's what he's taking his PTO in the, in the peak season of, uh, <laughs> of training camp, essentially when he's supposed to be preparing for the season, it's legitimately, I think, unprecedented without yeah. a corresponding. Now there may be some reason that he's just not discussing, but you know, the idea of just taking some time to take some time, uh, which is all the information we have to work on at the moment, uh, I think mm-hmm. would be unprecedented. I, I don't think it would be a stretch to use that word. And that makes for, uh, you know, it. he just continues to somehow become like the focal point of conversation in the NFL. Uh, it's actually incredible. It's it's this whole off season with him was was wild, and the fact that he, this is now being thrown on top of it the last you know ten months or whatever with with Tom Brady has been a wild ride, and it feels like like I said you know uh, sure Bills fans of of all people are you know more sick of hearing about Tom Brady than most people, but it actually does feel like anything that knocks a Super Bowl contender down a peg is a good thing for the Bills because I know the Super Bowl expectations, they are legitimate. They are a betting favorite for a reason, but there are so many things that can get in your way from being the betting favorite to ending the season with the trophy. And so any little thing like that around the league, I think, you know, is worth paying attention to. That's as important, it feels like, as anything going on 
uh, in Bill's training camp. You know, certainly the team can't feel that way, right? They got to be laser focused on what they're doing and preparing. But I think fans, you can't help but look around the league and think, okay, if that's one team that that's not going to be as big of a threat. Now, granted, uh, it's been a while since we've seen playing Gabbard as as a starter, and you know, <laughs> who knows? Uh, Don't that that would be don't uh, do that to yourself i might be jumping on a plane in february while the you know while the sabers are on the all-star break and saying all right it's time to it's time to watch daddy swing it against these bills in the super bowl who knows uh, <laughs> if that if that actually does come true we would have to get you a a credential to go <laughs> to go <laughs> just not even professionally but like from a personal perspective, for as long as this bit has has gone on on this podcast, I think I think it would be the ultimate, the ultimate for you. I so, should probably I'm, start working on on the uh, on the origin the, story of Blaine Gabbert, just in preparation for him to uh, take the league by storm this year. He's probably a good late round flyer uh, in your fantasy drafts out there. Don't do that. Don't do that. <laughs> you know Very I'm going to get not. I'm going to get screenshots now of people that have drafted him in the last round <laughs> i hey unless i see matthew fairburn actually uh acquire blaine gabbert in either of the fantasy leagues we're in together then i i would not i would not take take his uh advice on this one it's probably a good fantasy team name as well let daddy swing it oh yeah for sure there there has to be at least a thousand let daddy sling it entries out there. At least. I may be one of them by the end of the month. Yeah. Who knows? <laughs> All right. Uh Matthew Fairburn, it was great to great to get it's great to get you back in Buffalo for good and uh, great to get you back on the pod. So we will we will chat next week, my friend. Sounds good. All right, so that'll do it for us. Uh, thanks, everyone, for listening to this episode of The Buffalo Beat. If you haven't yet, head over to theathletic.com slash Beat and check out my seven observations from the Bills' win over the Broncos through some uh, interesting little uh, things that we didn't get into about the running back room, the wide receiver room, how there was you know one snap that I thought maybe tipped their hand a little bit, the defensive end pecking order, what to make of like Spencer Brown, David Quesenberry, all that good stuff. So that's all over at theathletic.com. And if you go to theathletic.com slash the Buffalo Beat, you can get a nice little discount on your yearly subscription. So for Matthew Fairburn, my name is Joe Biscalia. Thanks, everyone, for listening to this episode of the Buffalo Beat. And we will talk to you after the Panthers game. See you then.